Now, this is Box to Box with Rob Gilbert and Derek Dyson. Oh, what a goal! For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. Absolutely fantastic! Hello and welcome to Box to Box, the show that is everything football. You're with Rob Gilbert and Derek Dyson to run the rule over the past week in the world game as our travelling co-host Michael Edgley is between exotic destinations and news hound Willem van Denderen continues to enjoy the rays at the beach at Noosa. It's just Derek and I on our own, so I'm sure uh, we will, well, I hope we put together the show that you've come to expect all the while. The football globe continues to turn, so we'll have first edition news with all the latest on the Socceroos action from their various club duties soon. But the lead story, of course, this week is the Matildas, who are doing an excellent job fine-tuning for the World Cup with two convincing wins from two outings in the Cup of Nations. We'll dig a little deeper into the National Sides campaign and talk to one of our favourites from ESPN, the ABC, Fox Sports, Stephanie Brandt. Last year, we spoke to Steph before the doubleheader against Canada and Tony Gustafsson's, at the time, ill-fated line in the sand speech, which resulted in back-to-back losses to the visitors. Now, while the Matildas didn't deliver on that occasion, losing 2-1 and 1-0, I'm not sure whether it's too early to say it was their rock bottom, but they've won six on the bounce since then. Denmark, South Africa, Sweden, Thailand, Shakia and Spain scoring 20 goals to four. Are we on the verge of something special? It will be fascinating to see what Steph has to say about all that. Then what a roller coaster of a week it's been in the Premier League. A week ago, we were on the brink of what we thought was a season-defining top-of-the-table match against Arsenal and Manchester City. Seven days later, we saw the Gunners lose, then regain top spot in a gripping round of top-flight fixtures across the ladder. We'll talk to Arthur Roche from The Athletic about all that. And once we get through it all, we'll wrap it up with World Cup Corner and take a look at some of the issues facing two of the women's sides leading contenders of the field, which look remarkably similar to the disruption the Matildas had leading into France 2019. So Derek, just you and me, mate, this week, um, we'll share the load, but uh, a, a, a bumper show coming up, as I say. Yeah, I enjoyed watching uh, the Matildas uh, over the weekend, Rob, so really interested to talk to Stephanie and get her views on just how she sees them shaping up as they uh, took on European giants um, Spain. And then, of course, yeah, uh, we try not to make this show too Arsenal biased. I was talking to one of our super fans, the CEO of the Melbourne Chamber of Commerce, Scott Venkir, who mm-hmm. uh, who treated us to some A-League football earlier in the season. He did mm-hmm. call me up on my overt Arsenal bias, but actually, more importantly, my anti-Spurs uh, bias. So uh, we'll see if we can get through a whole show uh, without me putting the boot into Spurs. They actually had quite a good result over the weekend. So... Let's see how we go. Okay, well, talking about the Matildas, this time, as I said last week, we led the news with the Cup of Nations, which was just days away at the time. Fast forward a week and the Matildas have convincingly dispatched world number 28, Shakia, 4-0 and an understrength Spain 3-2 in less dominating style. But they held on in the end. The first stop of this dress rehearsal couldn't have gone much better at Central Coast Stadium in Gosford, uh, thanks to a double from Hayley Rasso and a goal apiece from Sam Kerr. And uh, the record-breaking captain of the night, Claire Polkinghorne, um, in the Spain game, a late fight back took some of the gloss off uh, one of the more impressive performances, despite the fact that they were under strength. Uh, Australia bolted to a 3-0 halftime lead in Parramatta with goals from Courtney Vine, another from Polkinghorne and Caitlin Ford. The final match of the three-way warm-up tournament is against Jamaica in Newcastle on Wednesday night. So, Derek, I know we're going to talk at length uh, to Stephanie Brantz about this, but 
funnily enough, even though it was against an understrength side uh, in Spain, th- these nations can often put out uh, you know two and even three uh, squads of of, uh, of very deep players. And opportunity knocks these players want to play in the World Cup, so they deliver their best. But to to find a way to still hold on uh, in a, in a match um, which is meant to be a, a, a let's call it a, a prototype or a, or a hothouse environment for for a World Cup group stage. Um, that's got to be a good story, doesn't it? Regardless of who the personnel were, Alexis Piotas wasn't there, but uh, it was still a strong team, a strong European team, and they got the job done. And then probably, although there'll be some questions asked about that second half and the way that Australia let Spain back into the game, albeit, you know, they did look, the Matildas uh, did, did look quite good on the counter-attack. This Sam Kerr uh, and some of their compatriots just couldn't find that final ball or you know to put the game beyond them but maybe they'll just learn a little bit of something from this game maybe if it had just been a bit of a um training match in the second half and spain had just kind of packed up and went home what are they going to learn whereas uh we did learn that the goalkeeper um arnold was was looking good um and we learned that you know there is a vulnerability there that they'll 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 want to iron out for when the real big games start when the tournament's here now over to Arsenal and the Premier League, not just Arsenal, of course. So we're going to talk to Arthur Rocha about this soon. But uh, they scored twice in stoppage time. It was a thriller, a six-goal thriller at Aston Villa. And they returned to the top of the Premier League while their most likely rival for the title missed the opportunity to return to the top, which they held going into that match with a draw against Nottingham Forest. And who would have thought the gangly-legged uh, Erling Brad Harland uh, that we saw of that as the uh, the same man who's been taking all before him uh, throughout the uh, the earlier parts of the season. It was an absolutely thrilling Premier League round of football. Last place, Southampton, added to Graham Potter's woes. Uh, it was a signature James Ward-Prowse free kick. I think he's about to take over day of it back Beckham's record. Uh, Sean Dyche sprinkled a little more magic at Goodison Park and extracted Everton out of the drop zone against Leeds. Liverpool became the only top flight site to beat Newcastle in a chaotic match, which we'll talk about in the uh, in stoppage time a, a little later in the week at St James's Park. And uh, Eric Ten Hag continues to make his name at Old Trafford. Uh, that uh, uh, that departure of Cristiano Ronaldo has has, has cross sectioned against the arrival the, uh, of the of the Marcus Rashford that so many expected of him in his teenage years. It's just a, a purple patch for the ages. And Derek, I think, what do you think about the suggestion that that the form of Manchester United right now uh, might make this a three-way title race? Well, it's certainly in the photo. I don't think there's anything that uh, Arsenal and City are doing in recent games that suggests that either team's going to go on some uh, elaborate, unbeaten run. And United very much are the form team. The only blip they've had was against Arsenal, of course. It was a way at Emirates Stadium, so they're not going to cry about that one too much. So I think United will have a say in this title race. They've, you know, there'll be plenty of games in and around that they will have an impact on. They're obviously the outsiders. A lot of Manchester United fans are playing this down. But as you said, what a difference a coach makes because we've had the kind of slightly flaky Solskjaer era. Uh, and, and then we had, you know, the, the uh, Ronaldo loving, and then he's often taking the dollars in Saudi Arabia and then all of a sudden this player Rashford who is still a relatively young man he just can't stop scoring and that's uh, I think I said it on a show I don't know Rob maybe two months ago that United should just 
build their team around this player. Don't worry about flashy um, signings. That this is the player that will take them to titles. So, hmm. um, and he's a good he's a good boy as well, Rashford. So, uh, I I, uh, I kind of respect what he's doing, and uh, you know, reluctantly pleased to see it because I think he I think he's a hell of a player. Now on the very weekend prior to the Australian Professional League's announcing that the A-League men's grand final will be played on Sunday, April the 30th at uh, Commonwealth Bank Stadium, the game that blew up the internet and football, not only in Australia but around the world, uh, was reprised at Amy Park on Saturday night. I speak, of course, of the Melbourne victory, Melbourne City A-League derby. Still there were 12 people evicted, obviously a heavy police presence to prevent a repeat of what went on at the derby. Uh, look, I've got no time for classless mugs um, who who continue to, to somehow or other try to uh, make fun of this whole thing, chanting, you got smashed by a bucket and booing uh, Thomas Glover at every turn. But still, victory upset the ladder leaders, uh, 3-2. Bruno Fornaroli showed no concerns. I want to talk about him in stoppage time if you tune in later in the week. So uh, that was a 3-2 win for victory. And they might just have a hope of, of scraping in if they can uh, make some kind of run at the back end of the season to to, to the finals, given the nature of the competitive uh, men's A-League that, that is uh, going on right now. In other matches, Wellington Phoenix snapped a run of poor form with a 3-0 win over Western United. Newcastle beat MacArthur 1-0 at Campbelltown. Jason Cummings scored twice against Perth to snatch a draw and the Western Sydney Wanderers in an instant classic. Uh, they drew four all in an eight-goal thriller at Hind Marsh. Uh, of course, the women's A-League took a week off from the international fixtures. So it doesn't seem that uh, long ago that we were all um, gnashing our teeth and, uh, and and desperate against what happened. But uh, I guess 12 people evicted. Uh, still not a good story, Derek, but um, at least it's better than what we saw last time in that derby. Yeah, I don't think that it could be, uh, could be stubbed out completely after one game. And I still feel like there is this balancing act of we want the most passionate fans in the ground. We have to define what passion means, which is passion for your team and passion for the players. And yeah, banter's fine. I've I've sat in uh, plenty of crowds singing kind of ironic chants towards the uh, the opposing opposing team. Yeah, I don't think the Glover chants were particularly helpful. I think it just goes to show that although we've been saying on this show that it's the uh, the few that are ruining it for the many, well, maybe it's more than a few. Maybe there are a few more people. They're just not going on the pitch and throwing flares and everything else. So it's an evolving picture, as we always say, Rob. Now, last week uh, we talked about Christian Atsu, the uh, Ghanaian player playing in Turkey, who at the point was lost. There was some talk earlier on in the uh, the news cycle as the, the, the disaster of the Turkish and Syrian earthquakes uh, broke, but uh, in a tragic ending to the the news last week, the body of Fatsu uh, has been returned to his native Ghana, initially reported as I say as having survived. Uh, his body was found in the rubble and returned to Accra over the weekend. His coffin carried by members of Ghana's armed forces. Atsu played 65 times for the Black Stars. He was found dead on Saturday night under his home in southern Turkey. He had been playing for Hachat Spor in the Turkish top flight and also, uh, as we all know, played 75 games with Newcastle in the Premier League. So Vale to Christian Atsu, a, uh, a player gone too soon and uh, and a, a public face to the disaster of 30,000-plus people dead in uh, in one of the, the great disasters of, uh, well, of humanity. Um, 
So uh, off the more um, dreadful matters of, of the earthquake, we, we talk about football on the pitch of the Manchester United Supporters Trust say the two bids made for the club have raised questions about sporting integrity, debt levels and inclusivity. British billionaire Sir Jim Ratcliffe and his petrochemicals firm Ineos have bid for majority ownership. Sheikh Yassim bin Hamad Altani, chairman of one of Qatar's biggest banks, has also tabled a bid. The trust has a clear list of demands for owners, but had further considerations arrive with the two official bids and are wary of the anyone but the Glaciers attitude amongst some supporters. So this is a very complex story. Uh, just, uh, I mean, there's a suggestion that by some that Sir Jim Ratcliffe is the, the lifelong Manchester United supporter is, given that he tried to buy uh, Chelsea uh, only a couple of years ago. But uh, what have you got to say about all this, mate? I got the sense when Newcastle were being bought out by the PIF out of Saudi Arabia that the anyone but Mike Ashley was well and truly underway and that uh, people wearing kind of traditional uh, a sort of almost joke Arab sort of garb and, and headwear celebrating this in the streets of Newcastle. Um, not sure how I felt about those scenes. So at least uh, Manchester United fans are realising that, yes, they've been very anti-Glazers for a long time. This is not a new phenomenon. It goes for decades to the point where, uh, you know, a group of fans set up FC United of Manchester as a breakaway club. That's that They felt that strongly about the the Glazers' investment. And obviously it's a tale of, you know, supposedly the Glazers not investing in the club, using it to prop up their other businesses. The fact that, unlike the people that are involved in this bid, um, the Glazers not genuinely having the money, having the connections to go to the big banks in America and point at the United stock price and the potential of the Premier League and the cash in the Premier League to convince them to get the loans. But unlike the uh, the uh, the Sheikhs and the and the Piff and the Abramoviches and and the rest of it, not genuinely cashed up. But obviously, these two bids come in. Apparently, the Qatari bid is is a billion higher than the Radcliffe bid. So I don't know whether that puts them in the in the driving the driving seat. It's hard to tell. But yeah, they I think they're right to um, be concerned about the bid out of Qatar. And this is not just through kind of a woke mentality of everything that comes out of the Middle East must be kind of bad. And I know that Edge, when he comes back on the show, we can maybe unpack this with him a little further. But I would point them towards uh, PSG and the fact that, you know, they've had some relative success there, but they haven't won the Champions League and they've won this Farmers League, uh, you know, year after year in, in Liga, even managed to lose it one year, which is unthinkable given the money that was put in. And and again, they, um, you know, we were talking about how good Marcus Rashford is and then all of a sudden he could be discarded for two or three Galactico-type players um, who could come in because they'll sell shirts and sound good, but the reality is they'd be better with a Rashford and a Sancho and some of the other players that they've got. Uh, I can't say too much about Jim Radcliffe apart from he obviously runs very successful businesses. He's obviously a business mind, uh, self-made uh, billionaire, and the richest man or one of the richest men in the UK. It definitely helps if they support the club, albeit, as you said, he was trying to buy Chelsea a few years ago, I think, because United weren't for sale and he was keen to get into football. So um, I'm glad this scrutiny, uh, you know, I think all of these, you know, point towards the European Super League, unfortunately, Rob, because... The people coming in and buying these clubs will not tolerate 
not qualifying for major European football won't tolerate uh, not being at the top table. So I just think it's another stepping stone towards that European Super League. Uh, Okay, on to Socceroos Central. We're going to talk lots of Matildas after the break with Steph Brands uh, for the Green and Gold Army. Make sure you jump on the mailing list real soon because there is a stack of football, international football, now that the borders are well and truly open and we can all travel again uh, to to get to. And the best in the business at taking football supporters around the world are, of course, the Green and Gold Army. Now, Riley McGree scored again for an inform promotion hopeful Middlesbrough as they won 3-1 over QPR in the English Championship on Saturday. McGree netted his sixth goal of the season and second in three games, adding to Borough's third in the 90th minute. I know you're going to expand a little bit that on that in stoppage time uh, later in the week. McGree got an 8 out of 10 rating from the Evening Gazette, who wrote another fabulous game as he came to life in the second half with a typically crafty performance, as well as winning the penalty. He scored the third and was unlucky not to have an early second half opener. Borough are now third in the Championship on 57 points behind second place Sheffield United on 61 and seven points clear of fourth place Luton Town Burnley of course on the top of that ladder. Now Harry Sutar was in action at Old Trafford playing a full game as Leicester City lost 3-0 God that could have been very different. That 3-0 was flattering to Manchester United in the Premier League on Sunday. Jackson Irvine scored St Pauli's equaliser as they won 2-1 at Mudgerberg in the German 2 Bundesliga on Saturday that's four straight wins. Irvine played a full game in the heart of midfield rifled in a header from a corner for St Paul his leveller in the 74th minute alongside Conor Metcalf on the right side of attack. Now, Matt Ryan, he's doing well at AZ Alkmaar, but they lost a top-of-the-table clash 2-1 against Feyenoord in the Dutch era divisie, but great that Matt's playing lots of football. And the final story for at least this week, and if you want to jump on to the Green and Gold Army website to all the news of the Socceroos and Matildas around the world, Denis Jeanreau was an 84th-minute substitute as Toulouse lost 3-2 at home to Olympic Marseille in France's Ligue 1. On Saturday and Sunday, the league, which I think my friend a moment ago called a farmer's league. Derek, um, we're going to talk to Steph Brantz after this. I know you watched the Matildas over the weekend, as did I. Um, it's starting to get a little bit exciting. And Steph uh, is one of the leading pundits on the Matildas in this country. We're going to find out what she has to say after the break on Box to Box. Okay, Derek, that jingle tells you something. It tells you right now at Chemist Warehouse you can get a massive half price off the entire Swiss vitamin range. Have you been into Chemist Warehouse since we last spoke on this subject to, to get some of those ultivites or magnesium? Yeah, I've been uh, getting the vitamins in. Of course, baby around the corner as well, Rob. So plenty of things that we've been needing from Chemist Warehouse the past few weeks. Certainly are, and those Swiss multivitamins, all women's multivitamins, 120 tablets for just $29.99. Get a couple, make sure they last till the next sale comes on. Swiss Ulti Boost Magnesium, it'll relax your muscles, help you sleep. 120 tablets for $17.24, and the Swiss Ulti Boost Glucosamine Sulfate. Got the weary joints from too much indoor football. I think Derek, uh, uh, despite his Ballon d'Or winning efforts at um, the Hillsville Sanctuary uh, uh, tournament, um, still needs a bit of glucosamine to, to keep them well oiled yeah i i get up uh pretty badly after the uh the night before rob uh, so i should probably be thinking about supplements so that i don't feel like a wardrobe the next day oh exactly and and another one that'll help you is the swiss ulti boost high strength deep sea krill oil you need some fish oil uh, 60 capsules for just 29.99 good for so many areas if you're joint health heart health you name it it's good for that chemist warehouse the great savings they're every single day box to box can you believe it for Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. 
Yes, this is Box to Box. And as we said off the top of the show, we are very excited about the form of the Matildas over recent times. Uh, Obviously, this time last year, we were a little concerned. Uh, Tony Gustafsson had a plan, but the plan didn't seem to be working. We were shipping goals against top flight European competition. Uh, he and the team then invite Canada. We're playing in their group as it subsequently uh, became apparent, and we lose 2-1 and 1-0. Uh, and at about that time, we had our next guest on, uh, and she'd written an article uh, about the line in the sand for ESPN, and we discussed uh, the, the likelihood of and expectations around uh, that series, which ultimately fell flat. But since then, they've won six on the bounce. Denmark, South Africa, Sweden, Thailand, Shakia, Spain, 20 goals to four. Stephanie Brantz from ESPN, the ABC, a number of other top flight media outlets. Tell us, are we on the verge of something special here? I love the way you name all the outlets. So I will work for anyone that pays me, clearly. <laughs> We are on to something and it's a delight to be able, after that interval, to be able to speak to you after we've seen Tony Gustafsson's process, as he called it, uh, starting to come into, uh, it, it's starting to to bear fruit and, and we're seeing the, uh, uh, the outcome of what was something he clearly very much believed in, but it took a while. There were countless debutantes we saw so many people come through. We were questioning that uh, he held on to some of the stalwarts, but we're starting to see that plan come together and starting to see the belief. And I've got to admit that even in that article, if you remember, the players were quite firm that they believed in the process and they thought it was going to happen. And it, it's mm. starting to bear fruit. I think there's still a ways to go because we are looking, and we'll undoubtedly touch on this, we're looking at a, a Spanish team that's not at full strength, uh, we're, and we're talking Jamaica and, and Czechia. They're, they're, they're not the um, England and the USA. However, you can only play what's in front of you, and they have now shown that they have the ability not just to come out and compete but to finish off games, which is what was our concern the last time we spoke. So, yeah, it, it's, it's positive signs. Steph, I think your point's well made, but that that Sweden match, uh, which I had the good fortune to to go to, and not on that occasion sit in the media box in that sort of vacuum sealed uh, uh, greenhouse environment that we're also used to. But uh, um, anyone who listens to this show regularly will remember that I'd neglected to uh, to fill in my accreditation form, and uh, and the the team at Football Australia very kindly ticketed me, but I happened to be in the uh, family and friends section with the Matildas, like two rows back from the corner. And uh, and just to, to feel the vibe and the atmosphere was something special as it was, but to watch up close and listen to the players and, and look at the looks of frustration on the Swedish uh, bench and players to think, this isn't the way this is supposed to work out. This Australian team is off the boil. They're no longer what they were. Um, uh, and, and, and to... Obviously, the Swedes had uh, a dominant period early in that match, and it could have uh, been a little different. But the, I, f I feel that that is the 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 the, the uh, crucible of where the entire shift seemed to to happen, because the Denmark and the South Africa wins were were not as as uh, uh, well at least convincing against top flight opponents. But no one can question Sweden, and they were pretty close to full strength. 
And you don't have to win pretty, do you? We like to no. win pretty. And mm, uh, mm. I think it was something we also questioned with the men, say, in the times when Pimper Bake had them. It was uh, people questioning, we don't like the way you're playing. It's like, well, do you want to qualify for a World Cup and win or not? So mm, uh, mm. I, I think there's the uh, expectation of how we go about our football. But you really have to say that Sweden, and because Tony Gustafsson would also know Sweden, of course, so very, very well, there would be... Uh, uh, an expectation that he would put out a full-strength team and, and want to see how they uh, perform against that sort of opposition. And Sweden, as you say, at that level, uh, we have to accept that that is what we need to be playing. That is proper opposition. Uh, the Canada results you referred to earlier, uh, yeah, I think that's a concern, but you can see how tight it is at the top as well. Canada obviously lost in the She Believes Cup 2-0 to the USA. And we had some tight matches against the USA. This is going to be a, a very intense World Cup. But what, what you say, Rob, about the uh, the family and friends, I had the, the pleasure and, and privilege of running into Claire Polkinghorne's family on the night before this last match. And they're just so proud and delighted and humble. And I just think that it, it perfectly describes Claire. She's been the leader of the Matildas in the past, but she's such a stalwart. And the fact that she can calm and control that back line still, I think we're in we're in very good hands. We've got the, the likes of a Charlie Grant or, or Claire Hunt and those sorts of players next to her. But you've got the Claires, you've got the Ivy Lewis, and then at the front you've got the excitement of the Caitlin Fords and the Sam Kerrs. We're, we're building towards something very, very special. It's not going to be easy. And I think it would be naive of us to say that we will progress to any particular stage of, of our Home World Cup. But the excitement that you felt amongst the family and friends, I think, is completely warranted. They know mm, that we're yeah. on the cusp of, of, of a seismic moment in women's football. And Derek and I are going to talk about this at a little more length towards the end of the show. But, but I want to draw a couple of threads from, well, let's say recent history from the post-Alan Stagic era through um, through 2019 and and the expectations going into that World Cup where Australia were still a top 10 side. Sam Kerr was, if not at the peak of her powers, very close to the peak of her powers. Um, it was a tournament that we had expected a lot going into. Now, we all know what happened and, and what eventuated with that tournament off the back of a lot of disruption uh, over a period of years. Now, what we're seeing internationally is that Australia may well have been slightly ahead of the curve in some areas uh, alongside of the, the US national women's side. We're seeing Canada, we're seeing Spain with their own disruptions. Uh, now, that She Believes Cup loss that you refer to against the USA, I read a, a post-match on that and, and there was discussion around the players uh, being exhausted and, uh, and just deflated by the Canadian Football Federation and the way that they're being treated and the strike and the, and the, and the, the withdrawal. So, Rob, I think you're absolutely right that in France it was a tricky time. Obviously, the unrest after the sacking of Alan Stagic, uh, which I think is still not completely explained. However, the players have moved on from there, but France was a, a tricky time. We also uh, lost Laura Alloway on the eve of the tournament, and it was a great opportunity for Carly Rosebacken. Uh, but there were... There were unsettling elements to all of that, and I think that showed throughout the tournament. The, the team was unified, but you could tell that it hadn't been 
a cohesive and calm lead into the tournament. This time, I think there's probably no excuses. They've got, had all the preparation and you can see that they are united in their belief and they're behind their manager and Tony Gustafsson, I think, has them all on the same page. Uh, teams like Canada, and obviously Canada will be in their group. Uh, it's been really disappointing to read uh, in the press what's what's going on there and these players are, are, are tired and they're worn out and they're worried about injury and especially the likes of a Christine Sinclair. Who knows what she's talking about? She's been to a couple of tournaments. Uh, and it's. Uh, I think that's part of the evolution of women's football and we will continue to, to see that through these teams. Uh, however, uh, Bev Priestman, amazing amazing coach and she will bring the best out of this team come the world cup um, she believes cup is you know like this tournament it is uh, it, it is a a brick in the road uh, on the way to to the tournament in in the middle of the year uh, as for spain read a couple of the reports on yeah it's great to see australia compete against one of the best teams in the world but we know this is not the best spanish team uh, i think it puts their players in a tricky situation but at the end end of the day come july august everyone can only play what's in front of them and like the matildas had to do in france whatever the situation is back home you've just got to get out there and and perform i spent the day today shooting with the jamaican team they're obviously delighted to to be in their second successive world cup but they mentioned how tricky france was for them that, that they'd had a tricky time in qualification they'd had a, a difficult time in uh, what their team is going to look like, the funding, the resources and the logistics for their team. But, you, you know, they just loved the chance to be able to play in a World Cup, whereas this time they have a real hope. They feel like they should be there and, and they want to move forward. As you've seen, but case in point, Socceroos in Qatar uh, perform on the day and you'll get through. They could easily have beaten Argentina on that day. Okay, maybe not easily, guys, <laughs> but they could have beaten Argentina on that night and gone through, and Argentina eventually went on to win that World Cup. That's what happens in these big tournaments. So do you know what? Don't rule anyone out, and all these sides are so close together right now. You said that you can only beat what's put in front of you. Is this a uh, glass half full in the sense that they did beat a quote-unquote major European team, or do you think there's a lot of question marks with that second-half performance where obviously they allowed this kind of inexperienced team uh, back back into the game and, and probably uh, it was a nervous last couple of minutes. Derek, I think that's probably a huge focus in their post-game analysis and something they'll be looking towards when they play Jamaica because there will be no excuses. They will be expected to beat Jamaica and probably by uh, a, a comfortable margin. However, uh, with Spain, yeah, no, it's, it's not the Spanish team that's the best in the world. Whether you put an asterisk against it, I'm not quite sure because, yes, it's you can only play what's in front of you, but you have to perform on the day. And and the Matildas have at times had teams that aren't what they would consider full strength, but that can happen in a tournament. So I think that for, for Spain, they, they came out here planning to win those matches. So uh, I, I'm ambivalent about putting asterisks next to those sorts of wins. Uh, I, I wouldn't say that this was in a meaningful, as in a, um, when I say meaningful, not a friendly tournament. Uh, but, you know, I chalk it up. It's great. It would have been headlines had they lost. We're anticipating the, uh, you know, the build-up to start really from now in terms of uh, the awareness of this tournament and people really getting excited about it. But how did you feel 
like the atmosphere was for what was you know a, a, a you know a friendly game of sorts did you, did you still were you still confident that the way the crowd were that that would be a good sort of building block for how things might go in a few months from now I think so, Derek. It's an interesting one because I couldn't get tickets to the Matildas match in Sydney in the group games uh, for the World Cup. I have bought a number of tickets to the match in Brisbane and it was sold out by the time I got to to Sydney. And for anyone listening, it's no, none of us get special treatment. I will likely be working on it, but <laughs> we still have to buy tickets for our family and friends and, and kids like everyone else. Now that it's moved to Accor Stadium, uh, I'm, I have the date in my diary and I've put it for midnight uh, so that I catch on to the European time zone in case that's when the tickets are released. Uh, but I think there will be a big buzz around Matilda's games. I was disappointed in the crowd size at uh, Gosford. I, I think that perhaps maybe the timings are days of the week and uh, uh, that could have had an effect. I think there'll be a huge groundswell of support for the Matildas come the World Cup. Uh, I am intrigued to see what happens in Newcastle on Wednesday uh, to see uh, Jamaica's obviously the, the weaker team in, in, the, in the Cup of Nations, but it's a chance that, uh, you know, in the Hunter region there's a huge amount of support uh, for football, and I'll be intrigued to see what sort of numbers turn out for the Matildas. But we can't underestimate the fact that this this is a friendly tournament, and the the World Cup will, I feel, be yeah, Matildas matches will be sold out, and there will be an enormous amount of support for them. Yes, yeah, Steph, there's uh, been a bandwagon beating on this show for a few weeks, uh, particularly yeah. after the story broke that Homebush was going to host that first yeah. match, uh, knowing that. Well, like you, Steph, I've had to go out and buy my tickets as well. So, you know, as a lot of people assume, you know, they, hey, Steph, have you got any tickets lying around for that match? I mean, that constant refrain, yeah, let me just open the drawer and just get you a handful. But uh, no, I bought my tickets. But the one that um, that I'm most frustrated about is is that Canada game at, at Amy Park where we'll be lucky to get 30,000 people there. And across the road, there'll be uh, a little stadium uh, called the MCG, which will be empty on that Monday night. And uh, it doesn't look like for all of my complaining that anybody's listening to to, to that particular gripe, but uh, it, it will be talked about at the time. I can guarantee you in Melbourne, people will be asking that question. There's no AFL on the Monday night. Why couldn't the AFL? Why couldn't Football Australia? Why couldn't the Victorian government? It's a conversation. We, if we were having it right now, we might be able to do something about and, it. But. And as we know, it's going to be about clean, clean stadiums required. Yes. That's certainly yeah, yeah. for the Cup. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There, there will be uh, lament, mm. I think. Uh, yeah. There's nothing that can be done about it, but it's, mm. it's certainly a shame. Yeah, that is. Well, Steph, what isn't a shame is you coming on our show. It's always good. We love your fun. We love you. You, you always enjoy. It. You've been doing it for a long time now, and you you, you still have a lot of fun with it. And uh, uh, and and we uh, we enjoy talking to you about it. It's uh, you know we've we've talked about the lows. It's nice to be talking about the highs because you know I know I can speak personally. I was as great a pessimist as anyone about what was going on when Tony uh, Gustafsson first put on the green and gold jacket, and uh, uh, and to see things uh, shifting the way that they are and. Uh, 
and and look, the one point that that I'm most pleased about is that it's not Steph Kerr uh, Route One stuff these days. It's uh, like Steph still scores her. Fa- Sam, Sam Kerr, Sam, I hope not Steph. Steph Kerr, <laughs> you're Steph. She's Sam. Uh, Sam Kerr, <laughs> but still, sco- Sam still scoring her fair share of goals, but they're being shared around now, and the team, um, I think, Gustafsson has, has, has designed uh, a, a series of game plans that are uh, around bringing the best out of all of the players. Uh, I love Katrina Gorey, that little general in the middle of the field, sort of marshalling troops. She takes no rubbish from anybody, no matter uh, how big they are. So, no, there's a lot to be excited about. We'll talk to you again about it, uh, Steph. And, um, and yeah, it's going to be uh, a lot of fun uh, over the next few months travelling the journey to the World Cup. It really will. Rob and Derek, thank you so much for, for having me on. I'm I'm really looking forward to how these next few months develop because I think mm. we've got some very exciting times for the Matildas. Uh, Tony Gustafsson not only putting on the green and gold jacket but uh, his rainbow shoes for, for yes. the five weekend in the, in the women's football and mm-hmm. uh, in, mm-hmm. in Sydney and in New South Wales here. To have mm-hmm. World Pride here is, is huge. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of this is just... Uh, as I said, it's it's coming to bear fruit. What, what yeah. we all looked in in perhaps, yeah, with a few question marks around what was happening, and now uh, we're really seeing the fruits of his labour. So I, I hope mm-hmm. that continues to happen. We're seeing the old stalwarts and old. Okay, they're <laughs> years younger than me. Um, <laughs> we're yeah. seeing the stalwarts and we're seeing the young guns mm-hmm. come through, and I think that will mm-hmm. all perhaps uh, be be ripe for the World Cup and and hopefully. Mm-hmm got a lot to cheer on but uh, you guys are great supporters and it's always an absolute pleasure and privilege to chat with you thank you good on you steph steph brands espn the abc fox sports uh, dfat even look it up you'll know what i'm talking about if you check it out thank you steph next time <laughs> cheers guys okay all right fantastic uh, women's world cup we're going to switch to the other side of the world after the break we're going to talk to our old friend from the athletic he's uh, an up-and-coming writer with the athletic but he uh, is as passionate as anyone who's lived a lifetime of the ups and downs of the gunners he's next on box to box yes the jingle says wella wella everybody's buying hoit spices there's two weeks to go in summer derek i had the family over for my beautiful alexander's 18th birthday party on the weekend i think i was talking about those chicken wings last week that i marinated in the oregano and made the garlic and the lemon and all the oil made some of those again some lamb shoulder on the barbecue, rubbed it in a, a, a Middle Eastern spice rod with some labneer and uh, some pomegranate seeds on the top. Yeah, you get them all at Hoyt's. The herbs, the spices, they add flavour to your summer barbies. Anything you did special over the weekend, mate? Oh, look, uh, we've got a, my, pa- my, my patented Moroccan stew uh, that, I, that I made over the weekend and we had, had that uh, this evening and that there's plenty of Wheat, herbs and spices is in there. There's the ground coriander, the cumin, the turmeric, and of course, I say it every week, the bay leaf, just to give it the extra, the extra flavour. So, yeah, putting of wheats in that little beauty. Yeah, and those sort of dishes just taste better every day. So you've got to make a whole big pot and uh, eat it the day you cook it, but it's always better the next day and the day after that as it just sort of sucks in those wheats, herbs and spices. You will be happy if you're buying your wheats at Coles, Woolworths, and your good Box to box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box. And last time, last week, we were looking ahead 
a few days to what we knew was going to be a massive match between Arsenal and Manchester City. City won the game and, geez, if all wasn't lost, it felt like it. They were dire times uh, for Arsenal, but what a weekend it was. Uh, Seven days later, they have an incredible come-from-behind win against Aston Villa and City at the City ground, no less, couldn't get the job done. Erling Braut Haaland playing like a gangly giraffe and not able to put the goal in the back of the net. Steve Cooper's men snatching a draw late in the match. And a guy who saw all of those games is a bloke we love to talk to from The Athletic, and his name's Arthur Roche. Welcome to welcome back to Box to Boxer. Happy to be here again. You felt like it was one of those moments in sport where opportunity is there for the grasping that you have to step up and take your chance. You're against a side that is in pretty good form. You've got a very vocal home crowd and you've got to find some way, knowing that your opposition, you've just lost in the week, just gone by, you're coming into the match off some pretty poor form. So it was it was a wonderful sporting moment, that game alone. Yeah, it was quite... Um insane to process at the time being in the stadium because again at half time I guess uh it usually some of the journalists will kind of go back inside and have a little chat amongst themselves and just how they've kind of viewed the game but that on Saturday I just had to stay outside and stay alone to kind of just process what I just watched and then um yeah the way as you mentioned uh Rob, I think there are a lot of moments um, and I think that's the first game where it felt like a lot of moments were passing Arsenal by. Um, but I guess I guess the thing is, was the moments kept coming, um, which was the, the real positive. And as you say, they, they grasped their, their opportunities at the right times. You're thinking of Zinchenko scoring just before the hour mark. That gives Arsenal half an hour to kind of keep keep pressing on so um yeah massive massive three points and again even if they drew that game you don't know how that would have affected them mentally because a win was essential um and seeing how i guess that may have had a knock-on effect on city late in the day um a lot of kind of unpredictable things happened Jorginho is one of the new signings he's filling big shoes in Thomas Partey's and 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 his he has been missed uh, recent weeks. And how do you assess Eugenio's early performances? And you maybe want to talk about whether is he could he play alongside Partey or is it a case of he'll play when Partey's not fit? When the signing was first made, I wasn't too over the moon. I guess I'd say um, the the one I guess saving grace in my opinion was that it was only a, a short term contract, but. I feel like from what um, we've seen of him so far, he's a lot more suited to Arsenal's midfield than Chelsea's current midfield. Um, and we saw that against Manchester City when he came in. I think a lot of people were maybe uh, a bit scared to see what would happen um, without Thomas Partey in there. But in terms of his positioning uh, off the ball, he was quite good made some really nice interceptions and then on the ball he moved he moved it really quickly and that kind of continued into his performance at Villa Park because for me he was Arsenal's best player even before he scored well he didn't score obviously but 
um, before his shot uh, rebounded off Emi Martinez. Uh, the moment that kind of sticks out to me is just after um, Arsenal conceded the first goal. Uh, ben White had been just kind of there um, to that point. He was maybe sitting a little bit too narrow, a little bit too close to William Saliba. And Jorginho tells him to get wide, push wide. And then literally two minutes later, Arteta tells White the same thing. That just kind of was interesting because after that, a lot of Arsenal's chances then came from, say, Jorginho finding Ben White out wide on the overlap. Uh, Also just being very progressive with his passing throughout the day. Uh, Think of passes to Trossard on the left, uh, Saka uh, kind of along the ground into the box as well. So, um, so far, he's been very impressive, I feel. And whether he could play along Tom's Partey, I think possibly, but um, I personally don't see that happening just because it feels like Mikel Arteta is quite set on that midfield free um and I'm not sure whether Jorginho would fit a different role in that midfield three as well, because, again, we've seen this, even though he has played well, he does struggle in kind of bigger spaces when, when the game's a bit stretched. He he isn't the most athletic, so um, that's the only thing that I kind of have a reservation about in terms of playing him in a different role, but maybe maybe Thomas Partey being in could help him in that regard. I think they've got to change that rule anyway. I think that was Jorginho's goal. Uh, I think that they've got to sort that out. Uh, <laughs> I don't, Emi Martinez definitely doesn't want it as the OG, and I'm pretty sure that, yeah. uh, that, that Jorginho would have it. But another player who had an, a big impact on the, the game was Zinchenko. Um, I've been thinking about him today, going, when was the last time we had another player like him? And I don't mean just like a kind of, you know, somebody plays on the left, he can play in a number of positions, but there's someone that seems to just exude passion and he's managed to get passionate about Arsenal in a short space of time. And obviously on the pitch, he's extremely industrious and he, and he, and he gives us that extra dynamic. And let's not forget that he's pushed Kieran Tierney out the side and Kieran Tierney is by no means a, you know, a second-rate left-back. You know, he's, a, he's an excellent player and that's one of the areas where Arsenal do have depth. But he obviously got the goal, his first ever a goal in the Premier League, which I was surprised at when the commentator said. Um, but how do you sort of see him, his role in the team, just as a talisman, really? Yeah, on the, the passion point, I think it's probably uh, important to remember that he did grow up as an Arsenal fan. So that definitely plays into it. Um, and also, the last player who probably brought a similar kind of vibe was, I feel like, Kieran Tierney almost. Um, so it is quite um, almost weird in a way to see how how far Arsenal have come in that position from, say, 12 months ago when Kieran Tierney got injured and Arsenal relied on Nuno Tavares, who at the time, even though he's done really well at Marseille, he wasn't quite ready to, to put a full kind of... Uh, run of a few decent games together. Um, so to see how that area of the pitch has transformed uh, is one thing. The other thing I feel like more in more of a mental kind of capacity is just you see a lot 
of what Zinchenko has to do or say. You see it in his eyes as well. Um, I think you you know what he's about when you see him. The interesting thing from, I guess, not just the Villa game, but the last three games is, for me, watching him, he seemed a bit uncharacteristic in some ways in that. A little bit sloppy, like the the first goal that Villa scored. Um, taking shots from 25, 30 yards out, which he never usually does. Um, and I don't know what happened at half time, but you saw in the second half, the Zinchenko that we've become used to over the first half of the season, where he was a lot sharper. And then for the goal, it's, a, it's actually an amazing strike. I didn't realise it at the time. Um, similar to the Jorginho goal, I think um, that Jorginho goal from where I was sitting, it felt like it took five minutes to go in. And then I watched it back and it was like in the blink of an eye. Um, but with Zinchenko, I'm hoping that um, now that there's, I guess, a three points and a good second half performance on the board, just mentally it kind of takes the, the weight off their shoulders and they can get back to what they were doing beforehand because, um, yeah, it took it took a while for them to get back to basics. And it's it's weird because Arsenal's basics are very advanced <laughs> at the minute. Um, so, um, yeah, hopefully that can continue on into um, Leicester next week. And I think they're also quite lucky. Well, maybe lucky is not the word, um, but the fact that, they miss out on the Europa League games this week could be very beneficial as well. And since we spoke last time, Mark, uh, there's been a World Cup. And as a result of that World Cup, uh, Gabriel Jesus was injured and he is still injured. I believe I read somewhere, you might know more than me, that he might be four or five weeks away from now. Um, There's a lot of pressure on Arsenal to sign a striker. Obviously, they added uh, Leandro Trossard, who's a forward rather than a striker, obviously adds to that mix of forward players. And a lot then fell on Eddie Nketiah's shoe in, in, on his shoulders. And for the most part, at the start, everyone was going, you know, Jesus who? Because it wasn't a problem. And Nketiah was scoring goals, good goals, poachers goals. You know, on the surface, maybe gone off the boil a little bit, hasn't been getting the goals. So um, I suppose my question is, are Arsenal now in a place where we are really looking at Hezus's, um timelines and going, we really need to get him back as soon as possible? And even if the goals haven't been coming for Nketiah in the meantime, is he still contributing in other ways? Definitely on Jesus, you're seeing what Arsenal miss without him because uh, he is such an all-encompassing forward Um He'll pop up on the left, he'll pop up in the middle, he'll pop up on the right, and he'll drop deep, be really effective, and then get back into the box and be really effective. So, uh, yeah, I don't think... So, Arsenal have been very kind of, uh, I guess, stringent on putting a timeline down, so we don't know exactly when. Obviously, Mikel Arteta's asked about it basically every week in his press conferences now. And the last update I remember was that he was outside working with a ball. But I think that was more individual stuff rather than with the team. Um, with Eddie and Ketty, I do feel there's been a lot more scrutiny in the last week um, because 
obviously the goals have dried up, which did actually happen to Gabriel Jesus as well, um, just before the World Cup. Um, but I do still feel that he is contributing. There are moments where um, if we think... It, so the Villa game um, where he he wins the ball for Ezra Konza and squares it to Martin Odegaard, that should be an assist. Um, and there have been moments against Brentford and Everton where he has um, actually run with the ball and created a chance for Odegaard as well and those have gone astray. Where, whereas whether he had done those kind of actions maybe a few weeks ago and set the ball to Martin Odegaard, you'd probably imagine that those would go um, in the back of the net. So alongside that, I do think he's still giving Arsenal uh, a platform to play from. But when the goals aren't coming, people are going to start asking more questions. Um, and to be fair, I think the chance they hit the crossbar, he's probably a bit unlucky with, but when he's played in behind by Odegaard, he should be doing better um, with that with that chance. Um, and it was interesting to see the kind of debates um, before uh, the Villa game as to whether who who basically drops out if Trossard comes in. And uh, there were a few people saying, I'll move Martinelli in into the central area and put Trossard on the left. I, I wasn't one of those, I'd admit. I, I just felt that it was kind of a spell that Jesus had gone through. And I thought that um, Trossard may have been more, um, I guess, suited to play in Aston Villa. It didn't turn out that way because actually Gabriel Martinelli's qualities were um, a lot more useful in the second half. But yeah, I think it was an interesting time, like that kind of little window, that three-day window before uh, Villa after City, where it seemed like everyone was trying to think of the new solution. Um, whereas now, I guess, you're just hoping confidence is back and they don't have to think too much about what they're doing. I think that's maybe something that not just in Ketia, but a few of the team members have suffered from where I think when they first got into the team, they would just carry out their actions without thinking. Whereas now there may be uh, an extra thought, an extra second of thought that that didn't used to be there. So hopefully now that they've got the, I guess, momentum that three points carries, that can ease a little bit. Well, Art, um, for two were were lifelong supporters of the Gunners. Uh, I thought that was remarkably even-handed of both of you, analysing as a a fan of another club myself. Uh, So it's going to be fascinating to watch the way that uh, Mikel Arteta uh, steers and navigates the, the rest of this season, obviously, he's the protege of Pep Guardiola and and may be the, uh, the man who takes uh, Pep Guardiola's uh, uh, mantle at some point in the future. But uh, it'll be uh, it'll just be fascinating to see the way this season plays out. So maybe we uh, we get you back on in a, a month or so's time as uh, we're starting to count down the, the final stages of the season to see how this all plays out. No worries. Thanks for having me. And yeah, hopefully we're still kind of <laughs> enjoying mm-hmm. the ride at that point, but um, we'll mm. see. It'll probably be a bit more stressful. Good on you. Art. Well, thanks again for coming on, mate. Cheers. 
Art de Roche from The Athletic, uh, a great analyst, enthusiastic, interesting, informative and, uh, and understated at the same time as passionate as well. Okay, stick around after the break. We're going to wrap it up. There's a few more stories around this World Cup. We just try to pick one of the eyes out of the Women's World Cup as we get a bit closer, not just obviously from Matilda's point of view, but looking around the world uh, as uh, the various other nations competing in, in the World Cup start to to uh, to tell their story and we become more and more aware of it. So we're going to talk a little more about uh, some of those stories next on box to box box to box Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Derek, earlier in the show we did ask Steph the question about some of the troubles that uh, are going on in in international women's sport as uh, it matures to the inevitable level of professionalism and pay and uh, and the voice of the players and and there are two nations which uh, are very closely connected to Australia in this World Cup the Spanish side which we talked about off the top with Alexia Pateas not uh, playing she's injured but 15 other players uh, uh, have got their backs up quite seriously with uh, uh, the manager and uh, and it's become something of a cause celeb um, in world football with uh, the uh, the Spanish side and the, and the league or the uh, the, uh, the federation uh, backing the, the manager and then meanwhile in Canada we're seeing a a, a player's strike call back and uh, and demands for equal pay and equal rights which we sort of feel like we should and particularly for a progressive country like Canada uh, with their neighbours having well and truly already done this uh, uh, south of their border, uh, that they're going through this same troublesome time. Um, uh, the Look, I don't want to uh, get that sort of sense of schadenfreude running through this uh, because this reflects positively on the Matildas, but uh, your assessment of these scenarios as players try to perform professionally on the park, but at the same time manage against uh, the suits offered. I think they've got every right to have these discussions and if they don't feel like they're being listened to, then, then you know, striking is, is the ultimate. I don't think anyone wants to do it. I'm sure the players don't want to do it. But obviously the Spanish team feel very strongly the fact that that hasn't been resolved yet, that the manager there is still in place. Geez, the Spanish football authorities must place a really high value on him and and his skills if he's still there and obviously it was aborted with Canada but still the you know the the captain there said that you know they weren't that happy about how that came about and I just think we'll see more of it as time goes on that uh, the the women footballers particularly uh, you know at the national level want want parity with the men I think you know I think you can make a case in like the likes of the WSL the the A-League and the others where you can say that market economic factors can drive the wages in a kind of free market economy. But when it comes to national representation, uh, you know, there shouldn't really be a difference between whether you're a male or a female player going out to to represent your uh, your country at the top level. So yes, Australia have got a very tight ship and, and yes, they'll look to take advantage of that you know there'll be england and others who also have very tight ships the us of course and and, and others it's a, a shame that we are going to be looking at these teams with uh, a bit of extra scrutiny that may may be coming into the uh, the tournament under a cloud but maybe this is the time this is the this is the time when the footballing world is watching 
what's going on and it's going to have the maximum amount of impact. Don't do it in the middle of a cycle where it can be shuffled away off the back pages and into a tiny little line on, you know, the back, you know, the, the arse end of the, of the sports pages, it's front and center. And this is the, this is this strategically a very good thing, like in terms of them trying to get an outcome, Rob. So yeah, it will be interesting. We don't want to see it, but I fully back them in their quest. And I think we'll see more of it. Yeah, I think you're right about that, and uh, and we saw the Matildas uh, several years ago when uh, um, they pulled out of an American tour. Um, the uh, the very complex Alan Stadich story, which we briefly touched on with Steph, uh, aside, it, the fact of the matter was that it was a, a a significant disruption, regardless of the rights and wrongs of the whole affair. Uh, very poorly led by the management at the time, the C at the time, David Gallup, uh, uh, who uh, who from my point of view, um, left a, a legacy of uh, of chaos in his wake after he left, and the uh, the Spanish Federation. Uh, you know, if you want to read a good article about this, uh, uh, jump onto the Sydney Morning Herald and the Age. Vince Rigari uh, wrote uh, an article of worldwide embarrassment: why fifteen Spanish stars could sit out of the World Cup, and uh, he talks about it having echoes of the Stadich affair. And uh, and when you hear uh, Jorge Villa. The, uh, the Spanish manager who's in Australia right now, um, he's quotes, this mess is hurting Spanish football. It's a worldwide embarrassment. I'm confused because I don't know what the players are demanding. I wish there had been more clarity. I'd prefer it if they had told me in person and then I'm sure we wouldn't be in this situation. It's as simple as that. I'm here 24 hours a day to speak and to express opinions. I'm always open to dialogue. All the training sessions are recorded and I would be delighted if they were all broadcast live. Lack of dialogue? Sure there has been, but not on our part. So if you're wondering whether there are any closer to a resolution um, as they are in Australia with their second string squad right now. That kind of stuff doesn't sound like it at all. All right, mate, let's wrap it up there. Great show. Again, we'll have, uh, I think, Derek, um, well, we'll certainly have you back next week and me, um, Edge and Willem, but maybe in a couple of weeks' time, we're going to have to have a little break from uh, Derek-style action as um, as uh, um, Thierry Henry Dyson um, is uh, is uh, imminently about to arrive into this world. Well, absolutely. We don't we don't know the gender yet, obviously, Rob, but uh, that's a fine name if uh, if it ends up being uh, being a boy. Well, if it is a boy, I'm just saying that uh, anyone could easily add an A or an O or a whatever to those sorts of mm. names. And uh, you know, knowing you, you, as long just as long as you don't call this little baby Lanesha, then we're all yes. going to be happy. No Next chance time. of that happening, Rob. Thank you to our listeners. Please make sure you subscribe to Box to Box Stoppage Time and Offside wherever you get your podcast. Tweet us at Box to Box. NTS and follow us on Twitter. Please leave us a lovely rating. It always helps to get us up the charts. Like us on Facebook and make sure you join us throughout the week as our podcast drop and we go from one end of the pitch to the other in the world game.